Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Rocket MSP Podcast. I'm Steve Taylor, your host. Today, I'm joined by Jim Lippy, SAS Alerts. And if he looks familiar, it's because this isn't a rerun. Uh, he was here last week. Uh, Jim, thanks for coming back, man. Steve, thanks for having me back. I had a blast last week and I'm looking forward to this week. Um, so so last week, we we talked all about the platform, the SaaS platform that you guys have built, it's called SaaS Alert. And uh, just to quickly recap, guys, SaaS Alerts is really freaking cool. It um, it gives you the ability to uh, monitor all of your SaaS platforms for your customers and even for your, your employee for all the internal stuff that you uh, you can generate alerts for when something all air quote bad happens mm-hmm. and that bad thing that happens could be anything from 2FA being disabled on a user you get an alert um or or uh dead shares or how how do you call them orphaned shares on orphan like a, links orphan links so then uh google uh drop drive yeah so so yeah uh definitely check out sas alerts but today uh we're going to do something a little different today is educational in the let you guys have an awesome MSP kind of kind of education. So today about the MSP time machine, what Jim wishes he knew when he started his MSP that he now knows. <laughs> exactly. So again, thanks Steve for having me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I came up with this idea because We'll get to my background here in a second, but I was thinking about like what I know now that I really wish I back to my MSP and I wish I had a time machine because end of the day, who wouldn't want access to a time machine? I, I can't think of a single person that's, that said to themselves, man, I, I, my life was perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So having a time machine would be awesome. So. As I started thinking about all this content, I'm like, you know what? This really is an MSP time machine, at least from my perspective, right? And it's everything I know now, I wish I knew that. And to understand where I'm coming from, it's really important to get an idea of what my background is, Steve. So I'm a former MSP CEO. I was CEO of an MSP in Boston, Massachusetts called Thrive Networks. Sold to the Staples back in 2000, at the end of 2006, ran it for them for another six years. By the time I left, I owned $180 million PL uh, there. It was the, it was the old uh, uh, easy tech business, uh, which was basically what, you know, Best Buy called. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I left there with Chip Buck and Seth Bostock, the co founders of guys at another company called Independence IT. And so I was president of Independence IT, um, you know, that we were pioneers in the desktop as a service space or cloud workspace area. You know, now you got great companies in there like 
uh, you know, and, you know, CloudJumper sold to NetApp. Um, but that's, you know, that's a whole different area and helping with that product, uh, obviously successful exit. And then I had my company that I founded called Clarity Channel Advisors. And that's where I helped hundreds of MSPs around the world develop a cloud first strategy. And I was doing that for a couple of years. And then that's when Fred Vicola, CEO of Kaseya, followed me. And, um, you know, eventually we came to terms where I, I joined Kaseya. And I, I was there for four and a half years as senior vice president and general manager before I left to become CEO of SAS. But when you look at my experience, I was an MSP first. And then I got into the software space. And I learned a lot about how to better um, price, position, package software there and services that I wish I knew back when I had my MSP. Like everything I started learning, you know, at these companies I was at, and, and specifically Kaseya, I'm like, oh man, if I knew this back when I had my MSP, like we could have done some amazing things. And we did some really great things, but it could have been so much better. And, um, so let's get into time machine, Steve. Uh, so the year's 2005. Okay. I'm CEO of Thrive Networks and the board comes to me, CEO, and they said, we want you to focus on growing sales. We want you to build, we want you to build a team for scale. And we want you to do everything you can to mitigate churn. So I'm like, okay. So we looked at every Monday at 10 a.m., we would have a executive management meeting that lasts about 90 minutes. And we would look at roughly 12 to 14 different metrics that we tracked every single week, week over week. But I'm just going to highlight the, the four ones that you know, really, we really, really focused on. Uh, new uh, monthly recurring revenue, churn, project revenue, and employee retention. Okay, yeah, we got to make sure we're, we're keeping those folks. So I went in, you know, with that mindset, okay, this is what I'm focusing on. Now, the MSP view of metrics, and after working not only as MSP, but working with MSPs for so long, I feel like the way MSPs view metrics are really siloed, specifically when it comes to the sales side of things. So you look at new sales. Right, you look at the new monthly recurring revenue you have coming in. And then you look at projects from existing customers, right? And you may have some you may have some hardware associated with that as well. Right. So you've got your new MRR coming in, then you've got projects from existing customers which could or you know may or may not have hardware associated with it. And then and another side, you look at churn, right? And that is whether people are reducing their monthly commitment to you or they've just you've completely lost, lost the logo altogether, right? So what do you think, Steve? You think MSPs look at these metrics like this in, in these types of silos? Not at all. Not at all? Not even a little. Okay. I, well, and, and here's, here's my reasoning for saying that. When I look at these, uh, I think MSPs look at new sales. Uh, and when I think of new sales, I think MSPs look at, oh, I, I just picked a seat 
uh, you know, all you can eat corn. So that's, that's the new sale. And then they'll, they'll look at projects as bonus money. Yep. Okay. And, and then the churn, they don't think about, they don't plan for, it's completely unexpected. So when it happens, it hurts. They're not ready. They're not prepared. And, and I heard a metric earlier that I guess doesn't surprise me. I just didn't realize it was that many. Like if you look at in, I don't know if it was the world or the U S the number of companies that say they're MSPs that, that only have like one or two people is like 80% of MSPs. Yes. I, I don't know if that's true. I just, that boggles my mind. And if, if that's the case, that's why so many MSPs look at, look at this completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, look, first of all, everything you said, I agree with, right? Like in terms of you bring on a new 1500 person or excuse me, $1,500, you know, agreement, right? That goes in the new sales bucket project in a, a really good MSP is covering their expenses completely with their monthly recurring revenue. Uh-huh. And like you said, projects from existing customers, we, you know, it's bonus, right? It's, it, it basically, ex- it extends your profit margin. It gives you increased profit. Well, it, then, it does, it doesn't, it doesn't because those 80% of, of MSPs, the one or two people shops, um, they find creative ways to have more expenses. They don't realize Sam every year in taxes means that you are more profitable, mm-hmm. right? Their, their goal is to pay less or even figure out how to get a refund if they've got, you know, the child tax credit or whatever. Right. Right. So, right. so they're, they're looking at that, that extra money as, all right, well, uh, I can get, um, uh, I'll finish the basement and, you know, I'll put that as office construction and I'll, I'll answer, we'll call that research and development. Um, <laughs> yeah. cause I got to figure out if I'm going to do tech support for a Nintendo switch or not. I, right. I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Um, I, I could totally. Yeah. No question. And I think that, you know, to your original point that one, two person MSPs, certainly they're doing that, you know, I'm talking about at the time I took over Thrive Networks as CEO, we were 45 employees. By the time we left, we're 90 employees. Um, and, you know, it was a pretty established business, right? And we were, we're, we're optimizing for scale. Uh-huh. And the metrics, and by the way, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody, right? I, we always look at these metrics in their own buckets, right? But a software company's view of these metrics are different. Okay. So for instance, like when I was at Kaseya, we, we have something called new client acquisition NCA, right? So that is a new logo. Then we looked at existing customers, right? And most of the revenue actually at a well-established software company comes from your, your existing customer base. Okay. So you're upselling the same product to 
that customer, you're, they're buying more licenses of the same product. And then if the company has multiple products, you're cross-selling those additional products into that customer, right? And so this is, you know, your, your current customers, existing relationships, all that good stuff. Land and expand. And then most important metric that a software company looks at and tracks is net retention. So net retention is upsell to existing customers, cross-sell to existing customers, minus churn equals net retention. Okay. And this is the number one metric software companies look at. And huh. my thesis is that there's the difference in how software companies and MSP view metrics make them view their customer base different. So MSPs view sales and churn separately. Little regard for net retention. I've never heard of an MSP actually talk about net retention. Have you? No. No, well, they think they... An MSP thinks of retention, not net retention, right? Exactly. They think, cool, I, I got my client to sign another three-year co uh, contract. Right. <laughs> Suckers. Like, that's... <laughs> yeah. So, again, software companies don't work metric is net retention, which is why software companies put more of a premium and emphasis on selling more to existing customers. And yeah. why does this matter? It doesn't and, really. Well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you why. <laughs> I know you're kidding. Um, so first of all, you know, we're going to, we'll get into like, you know, why it's easier to sell to an existing customer. Why does it matter? We look at cost of customer acquisition. Okay. This is something else that MSPs really don't talk about but it's a big metric for software companies, okay? So we're talking about essentially cost of sales. What does it take to cut, to acquire a customer, okay? So a software company, you know, the cost of sale for a new logo can be anywhere between a dollar. This is a good software company, right? A dollar to a dollar 50 for every recurring dollar of annual recurring revenue. Wow. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is they, they spend one to two dollars, uh, one to two months of, you know, a, a year worth of, uh, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. They spend one to one to two months worth of revenue from each new customer they bring in just to acquire that customer. So if, if we look at companies that, uh, like SAS alerts. Mm -hmm. Companies that will um, do things on a no contract, so you just you know eat, pay for pay for what you use. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, look, there's a there's a lot that goes in to acquiring a customer, but the bet here for three plus years, right? Mm. And, it, and it all you know it'll end up the return on that investment is big. Right. Got it. So now this is why it matters that you should be looking at net retention. Cause look at this number. 
Software companies, cost of sales to existing customers are 10 to 20 cents for every recurring dollar recurring revenue. I, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot better. Yeah, exactly. So let's just say for the sake of this conversation, Steve, right? Like you bought into, you, you've purchased our core package at SaaS starts, right? And you've got your, you've got a thousand users on our platform at 50 cents a user. Spending five hundred bucks a month with us, you're catching great information. You're happy, everything's cool, right? Like, and I'm more than happy that we spent, you know, the dollar to a dollar fifty acquire you as a customer. Mm-hmm. Now let's just say a year later, you come up with a, a new service or um, an, a, an additional package to add on to work, what you're currently buying from us, right? It only costs us 10 to 20 cents recurring annual recurring revenue to sell that product to you. And let's be honest, if, if, uh, if you have a lot of those 80% as customers, which you probably should have all of the 80% He's not paying me to say that. Um, I, I would say that, do, do you, do you have any hypothetical uh, upgrades that you guys are looking to launch maybe in like two years or something. Yeah. No, so not even, I'm guessing six to nine months from now, we'll have some basic remediation, um, features in, in the product. Right. So and that's not going to be 50 cents a user. That will be 50 cents a user and do the alerting and the remediation from the exact same platform, why wouldn't I consider it? So all right. you have to do is send me an email. Right. So right. is it even 10 to 20 cents? It is because I also have an account manager that will be managing your account and, um, you know, they'll be letting you know and taking you through it and it all evens out, you know, so the, the cost of that account manager is allocated to that cost of sale. Okay. Okay. But that the good news is right. Like the account manager is going to be managing, you know, 200 total MSP partners. So it's obviously spread out over a large base. Um, so, but it's obviously, it's a much more cost effective way of growing your revenue when you're selling to existing. Yes, it is. And as an MSP, I ask people all the time, do you know the cost of sales to new or existing customers? Not even a little bit. Right. Not I've even never a come bit. up. I've, there's only been a handful of MSPs in my lifetime that have been able to either remotely come close to telling me what their cost of sales is. I, I know two, maybe three that could probably tell me what the cost is for them to bring on one of their more recent customers, mm-hmm. but for the most part, completely unknown. And in fact, I know one guy, like he'll spend a few hours a week at, at my recommendation because, you know, he was, he was looking for ways to, um, expand his, his reach. Right. So right. now he spends a few hours a week, like making these 
really awesome video everywhere. Um, and, and that has helped get him additional visibility and brand recognition, which ultimately I think has helped him land a few, hmm. but, but do we know that the investment of his time, which, you know, every, every person within an organization, even the owner has a burden cost, right? Do we know what his actual burden cost was one and two, hmm. do we know, um, if that burden cost that he has spent on these videos on marketing have actually positive. We don't No, we truly don't. We think so, but we really don't know. Yep. Yep. So I challenge MSPs to start doing the work to understand these costs, um, because that data can be very, very helpful in terms of how you run your business. So then we turn to the ease of, right. So from my perspective, the number one issue selling a customer, first of all, let's just take a step back for a second. I think that the one thing that holds most MSPs back from scale is sales, mm -hmm. right? And, and getting a sales engine consistently working to be bringing in leads and to be bringing in cold business, right? I think the number one issue selling a solution to a company is trust, right? How do I get the company across the table from me to trust me with their most valuable asset, which is their data, right? They're going to give me the keys to the kingdom. And when you think about it, it's like what we do in managed services is for the most part intangible. Right. Like you can't touch what we do for a customer, right? You can see different pieces here and there of the value that you're providing. But ultimately, when you think about the, the core of a managed service offering, right? Like I'm going to put agents and probes in your environment and they're going to report back to our network operations center and our help desk. And we got smart people back at the office that are looking at those agents, the information from those agents and probes, and we're going to, you know, remediate any issues before they become major end user problems, right? The customer never sees that. So they have to trust that we really do have smart people back in the office looking at this information and remediating issues before they manifest in end user problems. But here's a great thing about selling to existing customers. They don't trust us. We've already sold them once. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if, and if we've demonstrated that we've done a good job for them, guess what? We can leverage that trust into additional dollars, additional services that we can sell them. And I used to do these, what we call IT complete calls at Kaseya. They're basically what you might, MSP would call a quarterly business review. And I would take an MSP partner through essentially what our roadmap is, you know, I could say that from a software perspective and then tell them what we have existing right now that they could be taking advantage of that they're not like, okay, Mr. Customer, we've got 20 four different SKUs, 26 different SKUs 
here, you say you're currently buying two, but do you need backup? Is cloud backup important to you? Are you? Okay. You're using somebody else. Well, you know, how's that going for you? What's the price point? You know, here's what we can do. Those we consistently had those calls, right? And I know MSPs do, they're supposed to be doing their quarterly business reviews. A lot of them don't. A lot of them have difficulties trying to get people to take those meetings because they just feel like it's a sales pitch. So you need to be creative in terms of how you do them. But, you know, ultimately there's a trusted relationship there that allows you to sell more to an existing customer that I think MSPs need to take more advantage of. I can tell you, Steve, now that we're in the time machine, I would go back in time as a CEO of an MSP, I would mandate that we spend a lot more time from an account management perspective, selling more to existing customers. And I can tell you that what we used to do is we would come up with an idea, something that we think would be good for the customer. And we would take it to them once and they would say, nah, I don't think so. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. They said, no, okay, let's pack it up, go home. They're not interested. But that's not the way you prospect. Like everyone will tell you from a prospecting perspective, it takes seven or eight touches. There's no way MSPs are touching their existing customers seven or eight times with the same product. And you might say, oh, well, you know, that just comes across as pushy or whatever. You need to get creative in terms of how you're presenting the information. It's not just, you know, you're, you're jamming it down their throat every single time with a hard pitch. It's let's do a lunch and learn. Okay. To learn, (laughs) to educate, right? Let's, I can send you some reports, right? You MFA is not for you. You keep telling me that, but you know what? I I just got a, a, you know, I just ran a new risk. Uh, report from SAS alerts and I can show you where all of the bad actors in the world trying to get into your 365. You know, I, I have something, um, I don't know if you noticed, started laughing, but, uh, it's because I was going to try and make an analogy that, you know, selling things is, is like, you know, if you really like her a few times or something, right. But, Mm -hmm. but then you were like, you know, it takes seven or eight touches. And I'm like, well, that needs consent these days. And then you're like, (laughs) and then you're like something about jamming it down their throats. I'm like, nope, I can't. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's good you held back, Steve. Oh boy. So, uh, yes, with, with that, um, I, I love that you would go back in the time machine and it sounds like. What, what you're really saying is, and you would tell yourself, no, for an answer, no, well, no means maybe, no means yeah, try well, harder. <laughs> I would say, look, we have a good product that makes sense. Sure. <clears throat> right. And they've said, no, okay, but start digging in why, and then start presenting inform- that information in a different way, because ultimately it's our job as their trusted advisor to make sure they truly understand the risk associated with inaction. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just continue to, you know, work the problem, if you will. Um, you know, which leads to convergence. 
on selling to prospects, right? Because to I would, back in my time machine, I would go back and be like, we need to walk out of a sales meeting with something. But yeah, instead, that's, that's never good. But instead, I would, our approach back then was all or nothing. I'm going to walk yeah. in, Steve, and I'm going to pitch you our managed services platform. And I'm going to walk out, probably not that day, right? Obviously, but I'm going to either at some point in the next 45 days, I'm going to get you as a managed services customer or I'm going to get zero. Right. And, and that, you know, I understand why people want that approach because they think, you know, they, they need to hold the keys to the castle and, and be the end all be all everything. Right. Right. But that takes a lot of trust. So maybe just getting your foot in the door and doing something simple would be a, a great way for you to get in there, start building that trust, and then giving them them uh, the upsells of cross-sells. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we wish, you know, and look, again, the reason I'll go back in a time machine and do all this differently now is because I did it wrong the first time. You know, now granted, we had a really successful outcome and a good, you know, strong MSP, but it could have been so much better if we had done some of these things differently. So again, we would go in, pitch the, the man of services suite. It, it was all or nothing, zero or, you know, five grand a month. Like, but here's the thing. I know back then, I remember we were spending $300 per lead, per meeting. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot just to, just to get a meeting. Just to get no, a meeting. With no guarantee. And do you know what your close rate was? It depends on the channel it came from. Ooh. If it was a cold call, mm-hmm. we were at 10%. If okay. it was pay in pay-per-click advertising, right? Which back then, this is now, this is 2005-ish talking about. It's to, not everyone was doing pay-per-click advertising. Um, our close rates are 25%. Nice. So, and then we had everything in between. You know, we, we had, you know, networking, we had. And, the, and um, the craziest thing is back in 2005, Facebook wasn't even a thing. You were advertising on MySpace, man. <laughs> Not quite. We were, uh, it was all Google AdWords back then. But we were allocating anywhere between five to $7,000 a month for our Google AdWord budget. That's a great budget too. It, um, it, it will do you practically nothing these days, but. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's just gotten so competitive, right? Um, but the $300 was completely worth it. We, we would, on average, we would go on about 30 new prospect meetings a month. That's, I mean, that is more than a meeting a day when you consider there's going to be at least eight weekend days. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So that's average you're looking at, you know, 21, 20 to 21 actual selling days in a month that you can be out meeting with people. So, um, but you know, we had a team and it, or we looked at leading indicators, like, you know, we wanted 30, 
prospect meetings a month. It was like 25, whatever. Um, some months we, ex- we exceed it, but this was a really important metric for us because then we could, we could, we knew exactly where close rates were and, and all that stuff. But with all that, and I think we we're pretty sophisticated back then for what we we're doing, we still took this all or nothing approach. And when you take this approach, it creates sales friction. Okay. And sales friction is bad. Okay. Usually. <laughs> yes. Okay. Based on, and we did this, you know, it was based on costs and a myriad of other variables, right? Like, okay, I'm asking you to make a $5,000 commitment to us. And um, who knows what else is going on? You know, that we don't have any control, right, in the sales process. So taking this all or nothing approach, we're adding a lot of friction into our own sales process. Software companies take a different approach. Most software companies, they just want to get the ball in play. And what do I mean by that? Just like what you said before, just trial foot in the door. Exactly. Reduce friction with freemium licenses, trials, low cost licenses, fewer licenses, right? You've got hundred employees. Let's try it out on 20 and then do a test and see how those 20 like it. Then we can expand. Those are all things that software companies have at their disposal. So this approach actually reduces the friction and reduces the number of variables in your sales process. So true. So what I would go back and do is say, let's get some products. They're great witch products. They're not going to cost a lot to deploy. They're not going to cost a lot to maintain. They're not going to cost the customer a lot to buy. That's a good. And what would you say to the people that are like, you know what? Let's give everyone that we talk to that isn't ready to buy something yet. We'll just install our agents on all their computers and we'll do monitoring at no charge because we've got synchro or something. So we get unlimited endpoints. Why wouldn't we want to just monitor all the computers in my county? Um, Because lots of times people don't value things you give away for free. Yes. Why are you going to charge me later? Because you want me to do the actual work, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right now, I just get a little pop-up that says you got a problem. Right. You want me to fix it, or you mm-hmm. just want to know that there's a problem? Yeah. So, generally, I'm not a fan of that. And by the way, um, they still need to trust you to a certain degree because you're going to put agents and probes in their environment, um, and you're giving them, you know, important, you know, key passwords. All you know, different pieces of infrastructure and so forth. So that can get dicey because now you're also taking a liability at no cost. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, hypothetically, if you were using Kaseya yep. and and you were doing free monitoring, yep. Guess what? You just hosed that company right. who's technically not even a client because they've never changed money. Right. With you. Yep. 
Yeah. And now they could potentially sue you. Yay. My favorite getting sued. I just, I'm not a fan of that approach. Right. Now assessments, things that are, you know, one-time deals, um, again, easy to deploy, easy to, uh, you know, low cost or no cost. Okay. I can get behind something like that, but ongoing monitoring or support. What about 30 day trial? Here's the thing with MSPs and it's, again, this is one big advantage that software companies have over service companies. It's tough to trial a service for 30 days. You're right. We're just going to make it seven. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so that's, that's difficult part there. And also you're inheriting a lot of crap when you take on a new customer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes let's face it, the first 90 days of taking on a new managed service customer can be a little rocky. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you're not necessarily putting yourself in the best position to succeed by taking that approach. So what if I just sell them DNS filter? Okay. That's a good, that's a good one, right? Inexpensive, easy to deploy, get your foot in the door. Um, and then their computer gets hacked and they blame you, right? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously there are parameters in your master services agreement and all that. Mm. This is where expectations are really, really key. Making sure that we're setting proper expectations around every service that we're selling. Um, Wait, guys, I think I've figured out the, the thing that we should be selling them. We should sell them, uh, this, uh, like we should find a way to monitor all of the SAS tools that you, that they use. That way we can, any issue that need to, to be taken care of. And then for an additional fee, we can just take care of the issues. See if you might be onto something here. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go through the rest of the presentation and see if anything like that comes up. Okay. Um, so, um. The last thing I, I would say around going back in my team, and this isn't really specific, it's urgency. Mm. As a leader of any business, I don't think you could have enough of it. Why? Because, and this is something I learned in my software business or in my software experience. Urgency is just naturally diluted as it filters down through organization, right? So let's just say you're a leader and on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, your, your level of urgency is a five. By the time it dilutes down to frontline folks throughout the organization, the level of urgency declines like a one or a two, right? Got it. That, that's a problem because they um, don't care. Right. But if, if you are at a 10 as a leader, even if, you know, it naturally is going to dilute as it goes through the organization, still you could have people out of five or a six, which is a whole lot better than a one or a two. That's true. Right. And to, to amplify this point, I think about, if you're an MSP, think about this and be really critical and truthful with yourself. What is your attitude 
about the end of the quarter. Like, are you pushing really, really hard at the end of a quarter to get every last dollar of monthly recurring revenue in to sign as many deals as you possibly can? I, I mean, why would we, why would we feel like we have to do that at the end of a quarter? Shouldn't we do that like every day? Well, you should do it being doing every day, but ultimately when you bracket it, right. And we look at like smart goals, which is, you know, timely as a part of that. We need to focus on a specific time period, right? And a quarter is a good benchmark around that, right? I can tell mm-hmm. you, see the difference between software companies end of a quarter and an MSP's end of the quarter based on personal experience are vastly different. Okay. Software companies are like balls to the wall. We've got to get this in. At the end of the quarter, we have quarterly goals that need to be met. We got to get it in. Now that right. I, I recognize that from uh, all the times that you people call me and, uh, and you're like, Hey, Steve, we got this deal going on right now. You should sign. Exactly right. Okay. There's we'll, a reason. we'll even waive the onboarding fee and give you a ramp for, for your first three months. But you have to sign today. <laughs> exactly. Steve, you got it. You could go work for a software company. Um, so this is a big difference between MSPs and software companies. MSPs, my experience is like, well, ex- there are now some that are private equity backed um, that focus on getting that, you know, that are have a lot more urgency around the end of a quarter. And making okay. sure that they get their sales. Let's face it, but if we understand multi-recurring revenue, the more multi-recurring revenue we sign earlier, earlier in the year, the better off the entire year is. Right? So okay. time is really important. It, it is our most valuable asset. Okay. Okay. I, I see where you're going here. Um, um now now you you look at things when comparing an MSP and a software. You you've now been at more than one software company. Correct. So have all of these software companies roughly operated the same way? More or less. It was there's always um you know Quarterly goals were really, really important. And there was, you know, always a lot more urgency at the software companies I've worked at to hit the quarter of the MSPs. And then. But there's degrees, right? Obviously. And then because, so, you know, before you came on to SAS alerts, you've already had the experience as an MSP and at a software company. Uh, especially a large successful software company. Right. So with that, you were able to bring science to SAS alerts. Uh, I, I would hope so. Definitely. You know, bring a fair amount of experience and, and, you know, some things to do and what not to do. In fact, uh, how many, how many employees are there? Like half a dozen, dozen, something like that. Yeah. About a dozen right now. Almost. So I suspect there's got half a dozen people right now 
that absolutely can't stand you because you've got all these weird rules and policies and paperwork and forms and whatever else, you know, like, but that's because you know what works. Would you say that's probably fair? Um, I don't think there's half dozen people that can't stand me. Um, because I, the only thing I'll say is this, try to be as reasonable as possible. The, the importance of process, documentation, and, and all those things that contribute to scale. At the same time, I also recognize that I don't want to get in the way of productivity. I don't want to get, one of the things I say all the time, and, and I'm not the one that invented this, but I certainly believe it, which is don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Okay. So I, okay. I say that to people all, all the time. So I don't mind making mistakes. But let's make them, if we're, if we're going to make a mistake, let's make it fast, learn and move on. Okay. Cool. So that, that's my bit about urgency. So, so if I had a time machine, let's review. I would focus on selling new products to existing customers. I would, I would not give up on the first attempt. Okay. Um, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to essentially treat my existing customer like a prospect and run campaigns and so forth around. I would focus on that retention because I think that's going to change certain behaviors in your organization. I, I would use wedge products to, or use them more to penetrate prospects. So I'm walking out. If I'm going to spend $300 in a meeting, I'm going to walk out with something. I'm going to get an agreement or at the end of that sales process, maybe I get a hundred dollars a month to monitor their, you know, SaaS applications. Right. Um, and then focus on creating more urgency as a leader in an organization. Definitely focus on the level of urgency because time is really, really important. You don't get it back. Um, so what's next? Um, I, every time I do a presentation, I want to make sure people are taking something practical back to the office and your management team, this more to existing customers. Um, in order to do that, I would identify the most important new product categories to your customers. Like what is going on right now within our customer base dressed, right? And let's find a solution that meets that need. You know, so what are they willing to buy right now? Um, find products that can be used to sell to existing customers and as a wedge to prospects. So essentially killing two birds with one. And then identify what the total adjustable market is. So TAM, we use the word TAM all the time with software business. Um, within the existing customer base that you have with a new product and develop a sales plan around it. So I'll give you an example back. Uh, P, uh, this has got to be 2009, 2010. Uh, we worked with backup company called Axiant, probably no yeah. Axiant. They were, were um, and they were kind of like the data before data. Um, we were the largest reseller of data in the country at one point. That's data? Right. Yeah. So we were doing about six and backup with Axiant. Wow. And the reason we were doing that was because we made a really conscious effort. We said, look, we want everyone that is using it's kind of funny to think about now. Everyone that's using tape backup, we want 
off a tape backup. We want onto cloud-based backup with Axiom. We didn't call it Axiom. They didn't know it was Axiom. We called it Thrive Protect. Oh, excuse me. We called it um, Thrive Safe and Thrive Save. We had two different versions. And our goal was to get every one of the customers on it. Why? Because A, we got some, um, it was much easier to support like tape backups back in the day, very time consuming and doing the test restores and all that. Um, so the big motivator for us, it was just going to be operationally more efficient. And obviously, you know, the, the monthly recurring revenue from it. So we, we did, we looked at our existing customer basis and came up with a plan on how we were going to attack you know, our customer base with that specific product. And it worked really, really well. And it took us, you know, 18 to 24 months, but we did it and we gave out spiffs to salespeople and, and, uh, engineering teams and stuff around it. Um, and it was like kind of like a celebration every time we got one of those contracts in the door. Really nice. Now I might've called it solution protect and thrive. <laughs> so it's interesting because our services package back then was Thrive Protect. And then we had a like a lower tier version of that called Thrive Essentials. Well, I probably would have called the um the one that does everything automatically for you. I would have called it Thrive Automate. Mm-hmm. No, I would have called it Thrive Manage. Okay. And the one that you use thing. I would have called that one Thrive Automate. Huh. Where have I heard that before, Steve? Yeah. 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 Weird, right? Don't let anyone ever tell you you're not a marketing genius. Yeah. I, I just thought it would be really cool to, like, take both of those and flip them completely backwards. <laughs> so that way, that way nobody ever knows if you're talking about one of them or the other because they always get it confused. Yeah. <laughs> Even years later. Exactly. So, see, this leads me to some recommendations for people. Some, cool. some, again, some practical recommendations people can take back to the office as they're decided that they're going to do some of these things via this time machine. Sassalorks, bam. So, we're going to cover the product, right, that we're going to use as a wedge for new prospects and a uh, a great product for existing customers. So first of all, we're solving a problem, which is something that's pretty pervasive still uh, for MSPs, which is official support model, managing small business on-prem application servers, being accessed by company-owned networks. Those days are gone, man. We know that. And we, we're now in a situation where we're managing, you know, our customers shift to SaaS applications. And these SaaS applications are usually being accessed by personal device and open networks, which create a massive security gap and also decrease our revenue at the same time. Well, not only that, but, you know, a lot of people don't have company phones. So now they're being told that they need to set up 2FA and how else are they going to do it other than with their own personal phone? Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, So some real specific use cases that we see, Steve, um, use case numbers every single day at our customer base or, or partner base, right? With MSPs and their end user customers. 
someone falls victim, end user customer falls victim to a phishing campaign. And now a bad actor has legit credentials to their 365 instance. Well, that would never happen to any of us. <laughs> never, never. Um, so now someone's logging in from China and to a company that's based out of Pasadena, California, um, to a 10 person company, like they have no business in China, no users in China. Why is someone logging from China? It's because of bad, bad actor. If we're monitoring from a SaaS security perspective, we can pick that up. Huh. So use case number two, you know, users connect to multiple application servers using their primary corporate credentials. So this is a situation where every third-party SaaS application on the planet wants to use your 365 or Google Workspace credentials to log into their app because it makes yeah, it easier. Yeah, it's super easy. Why wouldn't I do that? Exactly. Well, the problem here is it widens a threat vector. Well, that's right? why that's why I actually um, I use Google for some of them, and then I use Facebook for some of them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you, you're um, that's cation there, Steve. Yeah, yeah. So security's like an onion. Yep, yep. So do that. Obviously, we widen the threat vector because if you get into one application, now you can get into all. Right. So that's a use case that we see all the time. We're trying to mitigate. You should be trying mm -hmm. to mitigate on behalf of your customers by monitoring this. And then the the third one, and you alluded to this off, off the top, Steve, is orphan links. So you've got users out there sharing information back and forth via OneDrive, Dropbox, G Drive, whatever it is, and they're done sharing information with a specific individual at another company, project's over but the link still exists. No one terminates these links. No one configures it right to terminate. So what SAS search does is we actually, we alert the MSP, hey, look, there's an orphan link out there. It's been dormant for more than 30 days. Work with a customer to, to terminate that. But who really cares about the orphan link? Who I really mean, cares about what? Who, who really cares about that orphan link? I mean, that's what are they, they going to do? You can find See my it? spreadsheet? Like, come on, man. Yeah. The problem is nobody cares. And it's, and it's a, it's a major security gap. Yeah. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just it's a spreadsheet. <laughs> Jim. Yeah. It's that no one will end up looking at and doing anything with. You're right. That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just the, the list of, uh, all the customers at one of my competitors that, uh, I just kind of happened upon and that's, that's all it is. What's shared out mm -hmm. from my Google drive. You, you don't yeah. even have words. Uh, you know, <laughs> your server kind of them sometimes just, you know, it's just too much to overcome. Um, but of first of all, you're hitting, I know you're doing it with Jess, but it's, it's really information for people to understand like how 
dangerous having these lakes all over the place are right hmm. um and it's our jobs as msps to be able to work with our end users to make sure that they're not going to become pro- so um, so let me ask you a, a serious question jim yeah um so let's say I've got a couple of spreadsheets, like actual spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, cause I, I have one, it's the, uh, RM chart and it's, it's now turned into the MSP comparison chart cause different, um, it's on mm-hmm. in the, in the overall book. Right. So one for RMMs, one for PSAs. I'm sure there's one for a SAS thing. Get your info on, um, like, is there actual danger to having that read only shared forever and ever for every MSP to that spreadsheet specifically? Yes. Not a folder of stuff, just that spreadsheet. Um, it's got all the contact information, and everything on it. No. Um, are you sharing it? How many people do you share? Have you configured it to terminate after a certain period of time? Oh, uh, anonymous access. For read only. Mm. This is generally a good idea. So can you explain why? Uh, because you have no idea who's looking and who's sharing. That I've put out there for anyone, anyone to look at. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's not hidden behind a paywall. It's, it's something that I want people to, want to people go to see? Out. I want people to go out and see it. It's kind of, so it's almost like, um, it's something you put on a website. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's fine. Okay. So there's, so there's not a security with, with them, like getting into that spreadsheet and then like hacking their way into the rest of my drive. It's, it's more or less a, a privacy and in intellectual pro, uh, uh, property type thing that you're more worried about when it comes to some of these documents being shared, correct? Yeah, but also it depends in, in the configurations of the end user in terms of, you know, what, like you had, I'm sure you have yours locked down, but do mm-hmm. most end users don't. Yeah, and that's that's true. And that's, so... So for the people that know how to create these links and they have specific reasons for wanting them out in the public, that's okay. As long as they're doing it correctly with maybe read only access and that type of stuff. But for people that have no idea what they're doing with these, uh, share links and, you know, putting it out on Facebook, Hey, Hey Bill, can you check this out? But not using messenger, just like writing it and now you've got all these people looking at this thing and then sharing it with their friends and their friends. And eventually somebody that shouldn't look at it gets it. That's when it becomes yeah, a problem. A okay. major issue. Right. And let's face it. 99% of end users out there, all they, all they want to do is get their job done as fast as possible. They have really very little concern for security hygiene. And mm-hmm. they do that as IT's job. But well, yeah, I mean, I understand that perspective. It, it does make it incredibly difficult for us to do our job though. Exactly. Which is why it needs to be monitored. Fair. 
So, yeah. So you, I see you've got a little problem in the headlines here too. Yeah, yeah. So this, look, we all know about the solar winds situation, right? But you know, they've confirmed that 365 was you know playing a really big role in that, which is why you know, we go super deep on Microsoft and you know solar winds has come out and basically said, look, their plan going forward is to boost ongoing monitoring and inspection of SaaS tools. So these guys have gone through the Good biggest breach in the history of the world. And they're coming out and saying, hey, look, we need to start looking at suspicious user activity. And we're going to start doing that around SaaS um, based on their knowledge of what happened with 365. Good for them. And, and we're not going to say what they should or shouldn't have done before anything happened. I just say good for them for at least learning from this. And being proactive about trying to prevent it in the future. Exactly. Exactly. So this is an interesting chart because so the information on, on the right-hand side of the screen is from Blissfully, and it shows an 18-person organization connecting to 81 different applications. These lines represents an app-to-person connection. It's 400 different connections. That is just, that is a traffic jam with all sorts of major security implications right there. Dude, that is crazy. Right. And, so, and all those little, it, it looks like uh, the inside of a 2001 computer that I didn't actually know what I was doing when I wired it all up. <laughs> Could be. I'll take your word for it. So <laughs> according to Okta, this is all the information to the left, you have 36% of 365 users also use cloud or excuse me google workspace which i mean that's a pretty big number i was a little shocked by it you know 42 percent of users also use zoom and slack even though they're usually even though that functionality exists in teams right so there is a lot of you know application crossover and one of the one of the things you should be doing or monitoring solutions should be doing, it's what we do at SaaSource, is we actually correlate the usage across multiple SaaS applications. Because if you're just looking at a single SaaS tenant, it can show you what's going on in a, and again in the silo, but not what it's doing from a correlation standpoint. So, you know, Steve, again, if you were logging in to 365 from, you know, New Jersey at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And then you were logging in from Los Angeles, California an hour later. It's not physically possible, right? But if you're just looking at 365 tenant and you're just looking at Salesforce tenant, that looks normal. The power yeah. is the fact, like, we're able to say, wait a minute, we're looking at this, we're correlating it, and this is physically impossible. This is an alert. I'm informing the MSP so they can do something about it. Now, I, I've just got to say, this, um, this gorgeous abomination on your, on your uh, slide here, is this something that you guys fully... So this is Blissfully's chart, and we just thought it was really, it's really well done, and I think it explains a lot. 
And then the information on the left here is this octave information. Well, I think just going to throw this out there. If you guys were to make uh, a report that did something similar to this chart, I think that would be super nifty. So it's funny you say that, Steve, because we do have something called the SASI report. SASI is S-A-S-I, stands for SAS Application Security Insights. It's your own report that we put out there. You can go on our website. You can go on LinkedIn and you can download it for free. And um, just look at, go on LinkedIn, look up SAS alerts, you'll find it. Um, it's basically our, we at the time from January, 105 MSPs on the platform. And they had a total of about 750 customers that they brought on representing about 30,000 users. So we, we anonymized all the data and we put it into a report. And so you can now see, like, for instance, we're seeing 3,000 brute force attacks every single day off of 30,000 users. We just, we go through it and it's real data. You know, it's not survey data, anything like that. Um, and I think it's pretty helpful for the MSP to be able to take this information back to their customers because it's all small data. And, and I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. So that sassy report, yep. I want to be able to create one of those for one of my clients, which is in SAS alerts. Yep. You can do that. Okay. So it has all that cool data and fun charts and all that. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. That's perfect. Yep. yep. And, and I, I have a recommendation for another trip in the time machine in the future. Okay. Service delivery. Service delivery. Yeah. Knowing okay. what you know now, how would you change how you delivered services at the MSP or, um, the other way to look at it is how would you recommend the, the 80% be do be doing the service? To That's a good topic. Mm -hmm. That's something we can definitely address. Um, in the meantime, we can talk about how to implement a solution like Sasslers to your existing customers, right? Going back and saying, okay, I'm going to blanket my customers with something that, um, I think it's useful for that. That is going to add value. So we have something called the covered extension notification. Um, you know, this is an exam. It's an opt-out situation. We're seeing people that are using it 12 to 15% um, of um, MSPs. Customers are actually opting out of this. So, you know, let's just say you've got 100 customers. You know, you're going to get 85 customers that are now adopting a new solution because you come to them with this type of solution. You know, this is actually genius. I, I love this and it's, and this is something that we could do with any service. Yes. You know, absolutely. we, we decide we want to, we want to add a new uh, cybersecurity, anything to our arsenal and stop being worried about either a having to have less profitability across your, your clients, tenants, whatever, uh, and B stop being worried about asking them permission to charge them more, mm -hmm. ask them to tell you they don't. Right. 
just just go with it and have them tell you, no, no, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. How how easy is that, guys? Seriously, we've done all the work for you. We've written we've written it. Yeah, which which makes it even easier. Can can you imagine if every uh, MSP vendor wrote one of these for MSPs? How much easier life would be? Mm. Yeah, it would. Yeah. So we actually, you know, we allow you to customize all the reporting inside the application. We've got a bunch of templates like this from a marketing standpoint, one pagers, you put your logo on. Look, other people do that stuff, but, you know, this specifically taking this approach, I think for this specific service, right? Because again, we only charge 50 cents per user per month for the MSP. So it is low cost and something you can put on everybody and make a big impact value-wise to the customer and then recurring revenue-wise if you get all your users on. Yeah, th- this is, honestly, this is a no-brainer, man. Um, so then you can also prospect with this, Steve. Again, we're killing two birds with one stone. We've got a low-cost, you know, entry point solution, important. And now for prospecting too, something to get in the door, right? So you can look at the, you can show them the risk report. And you can take them through, hey, this is what we're showing our customers. This is the insight that we have. Here's a report. If you want, I can run one for you and see what's see what shows up. And the coolest thing is you we could show them just the overall SAS alerts report to show them how much how much data overall that we are able to correlate everything with. Cause you guys are using the data from all the users that you guys exactly. manage to yep. learn and understand more. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we can show you all this information. It's, it's actually, it, the reports are really nice inside the application. We moved up through that last week. So, you know, see if ultimately, you know, again, if I were to go back and do this, I had a time machine, I was CEO of an MSP, I would really focus on, you know, what products can I be selling to my existing customers and then leveraging those as wedges into my prospects. And, you know, hopefully, you know, this time machine exercise was, was helpful for, for your audience. I, I thought it was awful. I mean, I, you know, some of this seemed like, you know, duh, but it's, it's nice to get that reminder, you know, like the refresher. Yeah. So thank you so much for this, Jim. Um, I, I know I will be taking some of this and figuring out how to use it for my companies. And, uh, I can't wait to have you back someday so we can, we can look at service delivery. Okay. I'm Sounds sure you'll, good. I'm sure you'll have a neat way to turn the service delivery thing to a, a pitch for SAS alerts too, right? I'm going to start thinking about it right now. <laughs> Guys, seriously, check out SAS Alerts. It's really cool. It seems really important for for all of us. Um, and I think the smaller your MSP is, probably even more important SAS Alerts is, just because the likelihood you're able to do everything and read a bunch of logs, probably not going to happen. So go get it. SASAlerts.com. Yes. Cool. Steve, remember, come to your SAS. Yeah. Back that SAS up. <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong one, right? Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good, man. Cool. 
All right, everybody. I will catch you all at the next episode of the Laughing NSP podcast. Thanks for being here and enjoy the rest of your week. Take care, Jim. Thanks. Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today.